0: Kind of Cobras a sneak and smokes the All the good old days. Yeah.
1: Back To the Raised Rowdy podcast, you're here this week over at 50 Egg Music in yeah. Nashville, Tennessee. We have a special guest, one of my favorite songwriters, Mr. Jonathan Tingleton.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks, <laughs> thanks man. Glad yeah. to be here,
1: absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having us over.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's a busy yeah. week, busy week, so CRS week, yeah, busy week for me. I was gone, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You it's were a good uh, time to
0: leave, I think,
1: yeah, good time to be out of town, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, what we're going to do on this one, guys, is we're going to talk a little bit with Jonathan about his history in the music industry, where he's been, what he's up to now, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some songwriting and any advice that he might have for uh, an up-and-coming songwriter.
0: Cryptic advice. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little bits and pieces, not to give too much away, but to help in broad <laughs> I mean, strokes. That yeah. would, that would,
0: <laughs> you would assume that I know if I'm giving away. A yeah. Voice, I guess. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, well, man, uh, let's tell people about where you grew up and everything if they don't know who you are. Sure. Were, I grew up in
0: – uh, I we always say Jackson, Tennessee. You know, there's quite a few of us, uh, Ash Bowers, Whitney Duncan, Jesse Alexander, mm. Brandon Lay. Well, I think Brandon is from Jackson, but we say Jackson because we're – you don't know where we're from if we say it and it's you know so you just say jackson and then of course everybody says jackson mississippi and you say no jackson tennessee but jackson's right in the middle of memphis and nashville so i mean super musical spot Mm -hmm. to grow up a lot of great players not to mention you got you know north mississippi right there north alabama and muscle shoals and all that stuff right there which is a lot lot more country music and we had a lot more blues and kind of r&b stuff in jackson in the bars you had to play everything yeah um but that's where we kind of all grew up around those areas you know but maybe not jackson proper you know uh if there's such a thing as jackson proper (laughs) um but we grew up there and my, my dad was a church of christ preacher and also sold welding supplies and he had a slash even back then it's almost like looking forward to uh Uh, music times when you have to have a slash. You know, it's guitar player slash waiter slash producer slash (laughs) dog walker. (laughs) He was doing that back then, and my mom uh, worked at the eye clinic, and she had a band, so we uh, she would play rodeos and stuff like that and and picnics and had a great band, and they played kind of the same thing. It was kind of... The things I remember specifically uh, about them... Was they had a rock guitar lead player, and then they had a country lead guitar player, mm. so they could do everything. Right. So it was they were doing Dobie Gray songs and Doobie Brothers and 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 uh, and and uh, Bob Seger, and then they would do Willie Nelson songs and things like that. So, which is what exactly what we grew up doing too, which was right. funny, you know, me and my brother. So we watched all those things, and and my brother was older than me, and and we started our first, well band that made money. I I had a punk band in the day and Joey that works here with us was a bass player in my punk band. Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) And we would come up to... So, man, it was just musical. Like, it kind of darts off kind of as much as my ADD is now it was then musically, (laughs) you know. So we kind of did everything. We had that band that was called Short Attention Span and we would play uh, Lucy's Record Shop here in Nashville and then we would do things in Memphis where they would let punk bands play and then we would do... uh, like cover songs that were Pearl Jam and stuff like that and, and yeah. make money doing those things and then we play bars. The first serious thing that we did, sorry I'm rambling, but you asked me. Yeah. We want <laughs> the <you first> to. The <laughs> first kind of serious thing that, that we did is we kind of started playing Memphis a whole lot. Okay. And uh, instead of Broadway like playing country music, we would do uh, Blue Stuff and my brother's a great singer, man, and, and a great songwriter and great harmonica plays, musical all the way around. He could do all things musical and easily and not practice and just do it you know uh and uh so we we kind of caught some some heat there we we were at one time believe it or not we were the they have this big thing down there uh called the uh the blues memphis like the worldwide blues competition and we ended up being the memphis representatives for uh which is tough by the way yeah. to be the guys from memphis to Play blues with a bunch of guys from Ireland Chicago and Boston and New York and stuff like that and i was I was eighteen or nineteen years old you know okay. uh and it was just on his talent I mean it was we were all kind of okay, but he was great you know uh but he kind of showed. Uh, that's where we learned to do what we were doing is kind of watching what he was doing and how we were getting this better gig and then you're talking to this guy and, no this guy's important in this process and this booking agent and this guy's a piece of shit and this guy's great, you know, uh, which is a super important thing to learn. Yeah. And so, through that process, we did a couple showcases. That we did them on Bill Street, man. We were kind of the Bill Street, not the Bill Street band. That, don't get me wrong. There's millions of great bands down there right. playing. Um, but we did a showcase for uh, a couple of record labels, and I, man, I can't remember their names. But we thought that was it. Like we thought. We're going to be in a rock band. this kind of bluesy kind of thing. And we've got a lead singer who's a harmonic pl- harmonica player that's really great. And uh, we did those showcases, and they were interested in it. And then that um, uh, Memphis in May that year, we saw this little band called Blues Traveler that came through. <laughs> and it kind of shut everything down for us. You know, I mean, that was it. I mean, there's really no space for another bluesy R&B kind of band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so everybody kind of pivots and then a- after that we did a lot more kind of traditional blues kind of stuff and then he met this girl from France and he moved to France and started playing blues stuff over there and he was over there for six years. And and in that time period, our guys that were in the, that band was called the Smoking Jackets and uh, and we were sitting out in the parking lot, you know, deciding are we going to go get day jobs or are we going to keep playing in a band? And the guitar player which is actually the guitar player for uh, Raising was Abel now. He's the singer for Raising Abel now. Okay. Our guitar player goes, well, you just play guitar and sing. I'll call this other drummer that I know and we'll start a different band and we'll, that's what we'll do. We'll continue on and keep all of our gigs in Jackson. And after that, we played about seven years in a bar. We played, I played acoustic Tuesday nights and then the band played Wednesday and Thursday night. and. Uh, the Grove which they inevitably changed to Jonathan Singleton and the Grove which is weird to me uh, <laughs> was that band it was I mean it was those guys and uh, we played seven years four days five days a week in that bar and just woodshed and if somebody asked for a song we learned it you know we knew them and we knew how to read charts and uh, and uh, could pick out songs relatively easily easily, and uh, and that's what we did man and just we had a couple of records and and uh and that's how we, we started, just woodshed like that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was the long version, but.
1: That's what we want. That's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> and then how did you get, so during that period is when you started songwriting or were you writing with Joshua during that initial we were, period? We were
0: writing then, yeah. He was he was writing more than we were. Mm-hmm. And his, his version of uh, of those songs matched the Smoking Jackets. Thing. I think yep. I had one song on our record that, that we had out. Yeah. And he kind of, you know, he was being nice to me to have that song on that yeah. record, you know. Um. Yeah, and then in The Grove, I, th- I think we kind of started... Uh, you probably got to go back, because I think, too, also, like, uh, the guys in our first band that we played in were better than us musically. I mean, we okay. weren't kind of like... Uh, we weren't theory guys at all. We kind of... If we could figure it out without reading tab or whatever, reading right. notation, then we'd play the song, and if we didn't, we didn't... Which leads you to write songs more, you know what I mean? It's like if you can't pick one out, it's like, well, we'll just make one up. Uh, So our first band, uh, you know, whatever incarnation of that was, had original songs, you know. So we kind of did that. And my mom was a songwriter, too. So, you know, we kind of had seen her sitting there with a keyboard or whatever and a guitar and and writing songs. I think we just thought that's what you did, you know. Um, Yeah, but I mean... We always wrote songs. I, I yeah. don't know, yeah, it, it, I, if you get good at that. I'm not saying there were good songs at all by any <laughs> stretch of the word. But I did watch Josh. Uh, he gets mad at me for calling him Josh, by the way. It's Joshua now. <laughs> <laughs> you go 40 years and then change your name to Joshua. But <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, his, his was a little more regimented than, than ours were. Ours were just a means to an end to not have to learn another Nirvana song. You know, right. you just write another song. Um, but, I mean, starting in when The Grow started, yeah, you had to make a record because you had right. to have a thing to sell. You had to have a CD and a CD release party. That's what bands did. Right. So we wrote songs for those things. And, uh, and our keyboard player in that first version of that band was a guy named Dave Thomas, not to be confused with the owner of Wendy's. <laughs> uh, and he was a piano player, and he's a fantastic player and a fantastic songwriter. And there were kind of two versions of that Grove thing. There was his version that was kind of more rocky, mm-hmm. and then there was my version that was—you didn't want to think it was country, but it kind of was. You know, yeah. and we called it like Southern Rocky kind of stuff or whatever. But it was country music. I mean, it was the version of country music that we got now. You know, right? But you would never say you were a country band. We never said that. It never until we got a record deal. Then yeah. we were a country band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, but anyway, yeah. That's. Um, we just kind of always wrote songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you got to, decided you were going to do the, uh, the whole songwriter thing as opposed to you know going on the road and doing all those radio tours and stuff. Yeah. Oh, you mean
0: after that? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I got here, I, I guess, probably from songwriting. There was a guy in, can you do the whole story?
1: Yeah, man. I will. Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
0: There was a guy named Ted Jones in, uh, in Jackson, Tennessee. There was another buddy of ours named Chuck McGill that owned the local music store there. Who was kind of—I mean, those Chuck was kind of famous to us. He's, mm-hmm. He had a, his wife's band, and they had a band called Paula Bridges Band, and they were the guys, man. They were awesome. Yeah. We looked up to him. Chuck played saxophone and steel guitar and guitar and everything. I mean, he he, he could pick up anything and play it. We kind of always looked up to him, and and uh, and, and there were three or four guys in in Jackson that way. Uh, But Chuck and them in particular uh, uh, was writing songs with this guy named Ted Jones. Mm -hmm. And Ted had a deal with Roger Murrah here in town. That was the first time I'd ever heard anybody having a publishing deal. I was 26, 27, I had no idea people wrote songs for a living. I was playing bars and I was recording uh, bands at uh, this uh, guy's Charlie Baker Guitar Studios and, and selling retail stuff, selling $99 guitars and teaching guitar and bass and drum lessons. That's what I was doing, and I was fine doing that. I was having a ball, you know. I was, mar- I was I was married, you know. And I thought that's what I would do. Ted Jones comes into Barley's and he keeps handing me CDs of these songs, you know. So I take them out and I throw them in the trash before I leave for my, for my bar gig, you know. <laughs> we kind of had that big fish in a small town thing. Like we were the band, you know. We were the guys to go see. And it was cover songs, you know, 80% cover songs probably. Um. Anyway, he finally told me that he had been writing, he had this new song with Chuck McGill, and he thought I might like it. He was coming back and coming back and coming back. And I finally listened to it, and I was like, holy crap, man, it's great. It was great, yeah. and, uh, which is a, a super lesson for me it, from day one on, uh, about about songwriting and meeting new people and and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, so Ted had that deal at Murr Music. So Roger Murr had that company that had signed Luke Bryan and uh, a bunch of people at that time. Uh, Anyway, so we kind of start, you know, uh, he, Ted says, let's go to Nashville and let's cut, let's write 12 songs and, and, and let's record them chronologically. Let's make a little record, you know. And so that's what we did. We wrote 12 songs and what, number one on the CD was the first song that we wrote. And number 12 on the CD was the 12th song that we wrote. And uh, uh, I had no idea what was coming I just knew you know uh it was fun I had a blast doing it and so Ted had kind of paid for all those things and the guy that was working in that studio which the studio's gone it's torn down but Eddie Gore was the guy working there at the time and he was trying to produce records and uh so I came in one day and he had those stamped CDs you remember those you'd flip them over and you stamped the CD yep. and they had they made a made a label for it <laughs> label maker is what yep. it's called right so he had a bunch of those on there, and, he said, and it said Eddie Gore Productions on there. And I was like, oh, Eddie, cool, man. He says, you're getting your production stuff going. And He goes, yeah, 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 man. He goes, by the way, I hope you don't mind, man. I put up quite a few of your songs on that thing. So now Eddie Gore's running around town. And I didn't know it, that that was a great thing. Right. You know what I mean? So now Eddie's running around town everywhere trying to work up production deals with labels and playing my music in the, in the room. And Eddie told me later, he said, I would play him the thing. And they go, wow, that really sounds great. Who is that guy singing? So that's kind of how I ended up getting in that zone. So it it, it became really clear really quick. Um, Catherine Blassengame, who's Eric Church's wife, uh, was one of the first meetings that we had. And uh, she's from West Tennessee, too. It seemed really natural. They were really careful about who they took me in to meet because they knew I was this redneck dude that, you know, (laughs) was not good at that stuff and still not good at it. And Anyway um she was super interested from the pop you know from the start so we're now we're talking about a publishing deal but she knows we're going to be talking about an artist deal later you know so i take every meeting i can take in my 92 s10 from jackson tennessee i drive down (laughs) if somebody says hey you want to come do this i say yes and i drop whatever and i come and all my guys in jackson are are really super supportive of it and helping me out and i ain't got any money and Here's 40 bucks. Go to Nashville do what you got to do. And uh so finally somewhere in those meetings I figured out the more I said I didn't want a record deal cuz they would say, you know, you talk about we would have a meeting on a publishing deal and they would say, "Well, you need a record deal." So, I don't really want a record deal. We've been playing for 15 years, you know, with these guys, not I don't want to, I don't want to start all over I don't want to start at zero again, you know, I just want to write songs and they'd say, hmm, you know, and then more interest about a record deal, more interest about a record deal so finally, man my wife was talking, I was like, I think I'm just going to tell them I want a record deal I feel I feel like I can get a publishing deal if I tell them I want to want a record deal, which is exactly what I did, right. <laughs> And uh, so I started saying, yeah, I want a record deal and so now Catherine, at that time is working for Dan Huff when a they had a company called uh, Diver Dan Music, which eventually turned into Crosstown right after me and Busby signed there. Um, and they signed us. They signed us to a thing. And and, uh, and so now here's the record deal and Universal South is kind of this new company that's got a bunch of superstar guys working there and and, and Dan Huff's doing my record. It just happened like, I mean, it, you can't say no. In my mind, I was going, how do I say no? I mean, this great guy wants to do my record. and he seems ultra trustworthy, which he is. Dan Huff's great, man. I mean, we've never, he's never faltered from the guy from day one that I thought he was, which is a, uh, has been a super inspiration to me to become a guy that was, you know, involved in people's careers to be that guy too. You know, yeah. the guy that never falters from saying what he's going to do is what he's going to do. And, and, uh, so there we were, man. And, and I, and I, so I, I had a, Sorry dude, I'm rolling on He's Good. <laughs> so then I had a record deal and I'm doing radio tour, I'm doing CRS, I'm doing all these things. And and uh, uh, I'm taking in songs that I'm supposed to be writing a single for my new record that's coming out. Cause of course we cut a bunch of songs that me and Ted had wrote and a bunch of other guys had wrote that I loved and I thought were great. And of course it's the Tom Petty thing. It's like, well, we don't hear a single yet. you know. So you carry in six more songs. It's like, well, we don't hear a single yet. So we start, I started picking songs out of those lists, which was Watching Airplanes, Red Light, Why Don't We Just Dance. What else was in that list? There was one more in that list, I can't remember what it was, uh, that they had kind of said no to, you know. And I got, so now I'm in a van, sleeping in the van, touring with Eric Church, chasing a bus down the road, and I got four number ones as a songwriter, <laughs> and my my song Can't Get Above 38, you know. Uh, which is tough, man, you know, which is, it was great, it was wonderful, so that kind of last year, I, uh, I told my band guys, you know, I'm gonna be done, man, this is it, unless something crazy happens, this is gonna be it for me, so we had one last year, which was that last, uh, what was that tour called, Um, uh, throwdown tour, last throw, I'm sorry, not last throwdown tour, they had a couple after that, but it was us, and Eric Church, and Little Big Town, and Jamie Johnson, and Montgomery Gentry, uh, uh, Jack Ingram. Uh, I know I'm missing people that were on there, but also met Brad Tursey in that thing. I Man, Tersey started writing songs. He was playing guitar for somebody else, and uh, oh, we just met so many people. And then, so we kind of did our growth thing. Dave Hanish was on there. Sarah Buxton was on there. Jed Hughes was on there. God, it was it was stacked. That <laughs> that uh, that thing was stacked. So we kind of met those people, and we were doing a different show than we were doing. Uh, as the guys who wanted to keep their record deal. Yeah. Now our show was completely different than the than, than it was after that, which is kind of the last kind of hoorah thing that we had. And we would get people up on stage, and we'd play cover songs, and we'd do just crazy stuff, because we didn't care. It was, yeah. o- it was over, you know. Um, so that was kind of the end of the record deal thing. Sorry, I jumped ahead on Oh,
1: uh, no, you're idea. good. Um, So from there, you <laughs> came back to Nashville, started writing your songs right so Um, now i'm just a songwriter right which is awesome and how did uh how did 58 come about
0: so me and tally were in in, and tally is runs everything here and it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's uh, amazing and and we were in uh, big machine over there and uh kind of in the back of big machine and writing songs for all the new artists that were coming through um And and keeping our heads down and just working. And and we worked great together. She started kind of doing my book as a songwriter. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with the way it got done there, which just super reminded me of how Catherine did did my book. And they can just kind of, those people who do that well and take care of it well, they know who you work with, write with good, uh, which is always interesting to me. And, and, and a version of that is kind of the way me and Jim Beavers had success early too, is like those two guys probably shouldn't have been, if it was a regular co-write, they probably wouldn't have been writing together. But somebody who can see down the road can see how his kind of uh, regimented like, knowledge of, of songs and and had working at a record label and things like that would work with a guy who had no idea about that. I had no idea of what we were supposed to be doing. And he had a wealth of knowledge of—I spit all over myself—wealth <laughs> and of knowledge of, of what we were supposed to be doing. And those two things together is what seemed to work so well. So Catherine had a a, a, a good handle on that, and Tally has a great handle on that. Uh, so we started doing those things together, and then just kind of seeing behind the curtain is what we always called it. So you're kind of peeking behind the curtain, and you go, "Oh man, these guys that are standing back here." I'm not saying they don't know anything, please don't get me wrong I'm not. I'm just saying it's not what you think it is right. It's not like they see somebody play at at ten roof and they can see twenty years down the road of them on a on a it's just not just doesn't happen you right. know, and that was the illusion that that we all build up that that's how it is, and it's just not and you kind of start to go man I, I know I'm not smart, but neither are they you know what I mean and it's all kind of gut it all kind of becomes gut uh and our version of that gut was literally seeing Luke play Luke Combs play at at Tin Roof me and Randy Montana were standing in the in the back and of course Rob Snyder who writes here now and, and, and um A couple other guys knew who he was and was super aware, and that's why I was playing the tin roof that night. But me, I don't think – Randy might have known. I don't know. But I remember standing up close to the bar, and me and Randy were talking and drinking a beer, and and, uh, Luke started playing. In the back and we kind of jogged back you know what is happening here man <laughs> and everybody in the room singing these songs you know except for the Nashville people like nobody in none of the Nashville guys like we're all asking like, who is this guy and I like, I don't know and I literally google searched him on my phone and you know some guy from North Carolina I don't know man what's going on <laughs> so uh uh I told Channing Wilson, I was like, hey, man, I'm meet this guy. And he was like, oh, dude, you'll love Luke, man. He's great, man. He's great. And we've been writing and blah, blah. we got some great songs. And so me and Randy started taking him, fishing and hunting and, and turkey hunting and deer hunting and, and uh, getting him to kill some stuff. <laughs> and uh, and that was kind of how that relationship started. And then we were in the back of, of Big Machine one day. And uh, Tally came back there and said, hey, you, you should probably, like, you should just sign this guy, and I was like, I I'm not getting that game. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting in that game. So we kind of made the deal of like, well, if I I will do it if you'll if you'll run everything if you'll help me, you yeah. Know? Um, which you know, and she's under contract that big machine. There's no, you know, it was just like, okay, well, I'll help you oversee this stuff, but you know, I'm gonna go. She wants to do A and R and she wants to do management and do all this other stuff, you know, um, and all that all those things kind of ended up working themselves out later but that was the start of 50 egg and it's so 50 egg well it's also a you know a, a cool hand loop reference where yeah. in the movie he eats 50 eggs and and uh, the reason he eats 50 eggs is just to have something to do while he's in prison and 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 uh, i kind of felt the same way <laughs> a little bit it was you know the songwriting thing had become and he never I would never imagine that, that it kind of got to, but it was a day-to-day thing. It wasn't, yeah. there was no it's exciting end to that thing. It's like, I'm going to get this guy when his record cycle comes, up, I'm going to get this guy.
1: But it wasn't like we were helping
0: anybody, you know. And then peeking behind the curtain again a little bit of going, well, man, if we could just get these guys to what we, from what we see, you know, from from the Tin Roof versions and the, and the Whiskey Jam versions that we see, if we can get them from, from there to record deal without fucking with it you know i mean literally that's what to me in my mind that is the problem because i saw it and i did it you know i saw my record and nothing against any of those guys you know but my record was nothing like what i thought my record should have been you know and i get radio i get all that stuff but here we are nonetheless you know and, and and it's and those versions of those things don't have to be dialed in as much as, as we think they do, or so we, like Nashville, thinks they, thinks they do. Uh, it's more, uh, it's more. Uh, it feels more good old boy, you know, and I think it takes a good old boy to, to see good old boy. And if you can see that on the stage with some of those other things that aren't that, I think I can draw a, a very quick difference between the two things. Yeah. Yeah, did I say too much?
1: No, <laughs> that's great. And then, I think it'd be cool, like I said, to, to hit on some of the things that you think end up making a great song, like how you how you get there, like what what you come with yeah. to to rights and things like that, or what you see in other people.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think. The super important thing that we figured out here is definitely staying in our lane. You know what I mean? Which great songs is our lane. We only want great songs on the thing. We don't want the song that, that I never wanted, the song that... I take that back. I do want one before i quit doing that is on the radio that people are like how did they get this on the radio this is the most awful put together song of all time i do want one of those because i've worked real hard for all the ones that i've gotten you know and i hear some and i'm like well that doesn't seem fair i put a lot of effort into my song this song is just kind of laying there Uh, but anyway uh uh what was the question i veered oh uh, just like advice oh yeah or advice things. For yeah, yeah. I, oh man it is it's so tough man I, I, the something real i know that sounds so cliche but your version of real i saw i saw another artist on uh that was at the triple play awards luke luke won a triple play award and we yeah. went we went to the triple play awards and uh and watched an artist receive a triple play award for what I would have, in my mind um and I, I've had many of these in my Nashville upcoming where it's like oh I'm the asshole like <laughs> where you know you think you think it's them and, and you think they're doing something that to you feels against country music or goes against the version of country music that you think it is but there's a lot of versions of that yeah, and this guy that was talking about these songs, and I would never say his name because now you know I have huge respect for for the guy, the guy that was doing these songs. I was like, oh man, the way he talked about those songs is the way I talk about my songs. Right, and that's his version of of, of country music, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Um, all that to say, it's just it's again, it's just working harder than the other guy and, and, and the books you read and the TV shows that you, that you watch and the music that you're listening to and the, uh, and the people that you surround yourself as a person with. Because my choice was, we were in Franklin, Tennessee for two years and we were in, um, we were in East Nashville for seven and now we're in Ashland City. And, and my neighbors in Ashland City are 1,000% the people who were turning on country radio and when they hear something they don't like they just turn the radio off. Yep. That's the kind of people I want to know what they're listening to. I want to write songs for those guys who are selling well supplies or or driving a truck or driving a UPS or whatever they're doing or are in in the military or what the people who are listening to country music as a lifestyle channel. You know right. what I mean like Give me something uplifting or give me something to cry to. That's the people I want to write songs for. So however you get there, I, there's not a real way to get there. Right. But it, it is finding the things. That, and we talk about it as songwriters all the time. Because those guys will sit in here. And uh, who was it? The other, me and Dan Isbel were talking the other day. And, and uh, I think who were we rapping with? Derek or Tan? And so we're just pouring over this line and can't get it right, and can't get it right. And finally, somebody said, well, what about this? And all three of us at the same time said, of course. And you start typing. So how in the, how do you get there? It doesn't make any sense. So we had a long conversation about that too. It's like, if you listen to lifetime of music, I feel like those things just kind of get ingrained in you that that's right, you know. But I think at the same time, it's like you got to be careful of what you're listening to. Yeah. You know. Uh so, so your your songwriting does go that way. So you can listen to it uh objectively if I'm listening to something outside of country music or outside of the realm that doesn't really feel like work to me. Mm-hmm. Punk music doesn't feel like work to me. Like those heavy, heavy uh bands don't feel like work to me. That feels yeah. like a vacation to me. And I enjoy listening to those things, you yep. know. Uh but if I'm listening to country music, I'm judging their song one hundred percent every time yeah. I hear one. And I heard one this weekend, by the way, that new Kaylee. Well, it wasn't the single, that Kaylee is a hammer Yeah. That Small Town Hypocrites yep. song. Holy crap, dude. I listened to it 13 times. <laughs> I listened to it in the shower. I listened to it, like I brought my phone back over to the thing and listened to it again. So those things are still happening for me, like things that are ultra exciting for me, like as a songwriter. Even though how many small, you know, we sit in a room and go, how many small town songs can we get? But she's still kind of dug one out of out of the out of the coal,
1: you
0: know. Yeah. Uh anyway, I, I hope that's helpful. I I don't know, man. I, I think I think songwriters are just songwriters, too. Yeah. I think you're either not not that you start out good at it. I think uh it's a certain kind of person that wants to write the song for the guy, you know. Oh. Uh, and you either, at some point, you're either good at it or you're not good at it. Right. But as you keep going, I think you can get a person in your room who's a new artist and kind of have an idea in your head. You just have to be right. I think a lot of what that artist will be five or six years from now. Right. You know. Uh, and in the case of 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 Luke and those guys, once you kind of get into it a little bit more, those guys already know. It's the guys that don't know that you're in trouble when you're sitting in the room with them the guys who don't know what they want to be. Right. But Luke and Ashton Craft yep. and 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 um oh man, there's a bunch of them. Uh Ray's the same way. Yep. Kent and Brian. All, all the kind of all the folks that all we, <laughs> we yeah. I mean those are the ones that are fresh on my mind, but like they know. You know, there is no figuring out what they need to do. And if you're you as a songwriter, is just the job is just to help them facilitate their idea of what of what they want the crowd to sing back to them. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you just got help to them, help them do that. I hope that's helpful. I, I don't know. If I knew the secret to songwriting, I'd be a way better songwriter. I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, we think you're a pretty great songwriter. Well, thank you so much. <laughs>
0: thank
1: you. Well guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and Jonathan thank man, you. Man, I'm your time. sorry,
0: I've just ranted for I felt like oh, no minutes uh, yeah.
1: I, I'm gonna listen to this back a bunch of times. So awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I think our, I think the the people that are gonna be listening will do the same.
0: Well so. great. Thanks, man. Thanks Absolutely. for what y'all do too, man. I, I saw a girl this morning on on uh, on your I forget the little dark headed girls that y'all went in. Sarah. and Sarah. Is that yeah. who it was? She's great. Man. Yeah. She's great and I clicked on her Instagram off of y'all's that's the point, right? Yep. Yes. Uh, she's great.
1: Oh, you're talking about Joy Beth?
0: Yes, Joy, Joy Beth. Beth. Oh, dude. Fantastic. She's great. Absolutely. Dynamite. Great. Yeah, I went to her Instagram. I followed her just to see what's going on. She was fantastic, man.
1: Killer songwriter. Killer voice. Beautiful yeah. and sweet voice. Just awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's fun, man. Thank y'all for doing that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And like I said, thanks for being Absolutely, here. Absolutely, man. Uh, mm-hmm. This is Nikki T. And we'll see you in the front row.
0: The good old days yeah. You don't have to explain it It's just the way